I want to start out by sharing a little bit about mental illness before we open the Bible. Now, you may, you probably have heard of the term mental illness. You probably haven't ever sat down with an index card and tried to define it. But I want to define it. Before we start, I want to define it because I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about what we're talking about. The goal is to understand what mental illness is and then ask the question, what does the Word of God teach about that? Now, i got to be honest with you, it depends on where you look as to what definition you get of mental illness. And I will tell you that I'm just going to read a couple of them off for you, but uh, one group of specialists define mental illness as a condition that affects a person's thinking, feeling, or mood. Another specialized group defines mental illness as a health condition that involves changing in emotion, thinking, or behavior. Another specialist group says that mental illness refers to a wide range of mental health conditions or disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. So slight differences, but somewhat the same. And sometimes I'm really helped by definitions and sometimes I'm not. I don't know if that helps you at all or not. But I think that what really will help to bring into focus a little bit is to talk a little bit about the statistics of mental illness. So it's my understanding that one in five people in a given year, any given year, one in five people will struggle with some form of mental illness. And it's also my understanding through reading and researching that one in 17 people will, in a given year, will experience serious mental illness. So that would be major or severe depression. That would be bipolar. That would be schizophrenia. That would be um, substantial eating disorders. Those types of things. One in 17 people. Now, look around you. What that means is that if we were to take our group the people that are here today, and we were to take that statistic and impose it on the group here, that means about 16 or 17 people right here in this room at at some point in this year would be struggling with serious and substantial mental illness. Now that's an important number. I'm going to give you another important number. This might be the most shocking one. 50% of pastors admit they have never and have no plan on talking publicly about mental illness. Half of pastors say, absolutely not. But why? Surely if we're in a group this big, and I knew that 16 or 17 people were going to face life-changing circumstances... We would talk about it. So the question is why? Well, I want to answer that before we open the Bible this morning. I want you to understand why it's not often talked about. One reason is because, quite frankly, theologically trained people are a little bit ignorant of mental illness. And I don't mean ignorant in the mean and negative name-calling sense. I just mean it in the sense that oftentimes we're trained and we can tell you all kind of Greek verbs... And we can tell you the timeline of the history of God, but we haven't been trained to talk about mental illness. We're ignorant of it. And we're afraid because we don't want to talk about something that we don't know about. 
another reason that we may struggle with talking about mental illness is for, because of what it's what I call self-defeat. Did you know that 25% of pastors admit to struggling themselves with mental illness? And when you struggle with something, you're so less likely to talk about it, right? I mean, who in here goes bankrupt one year and then decides to give financial advice the next year, you know? I mean, when you, when you struggle with something, you feel so much um, difficulty and shame and guilt and embarrassment that you just don't feel like you have the right to talk about it. And, and so those perhaps are some of the reasons. Now, I want to tell you a couple of things. First... I'm not going to say everything there is to say about mental illness today. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. We're going to look at three this morning. All right? We're not going to say everything that there is to say from the Word of God about mental illness or any subject in one service and in one Sunday. I will also tell you this. I do not claim to be a medical doctor or a licensed professional counselor. I'm not here to diagnose you. I'm not here to tell you all of the ins and outs of the medical world. You know and I both know I don't have any qualifications to do that. But also, you are not leaving an expert. So don't act like one. (laughs) Do you remember uh, when you took a college course? I can tell you this. I'm just going to share this and we're going to jump in. I remember taking... I don't know what the title of the class was, but it was like the entry-level psychology course. And I remember taking that, and every family event that I would go to, I would be telling my family, well, you know what your problem is, right? (laughs) And they would be talking at the dinner table, and I would say, hmm, you know what that sounds like to me? You know, we do that, you know, we're interested in something, we learn a little bit about it, and then we go forth and conquer because we think we know everything that we need to know. Listen, we're not going to leave experts today, but hopefully what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to understand the heart of God with people who struggle. That's what I want for us to do. I want for us to leave out of here today really focused in and knowing how to pray for somebody that struggles with mental illness. That's what I want for us to be able to do. I want for us to leave giving people some practical steps. If you're here and you struggle with mental illness, I want to give you some practical steps that you can do that, but by the grace and the power of God, they will help you. So open with me. Uh, Psalm 34 is the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And as I said, we're going to look mainly at three verses. I'm going to read a few more just so that we can have the scripture in context. But Psalm 34 this morning, we're going to be I'm going to read through starting at verse 15 and I'm going to read through verse 22, but I will tell you that we are mainly focusing on verses 17, 18, and 19. So Psalm 34, here's what the word of God says, starting in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
Lord, we admit this morning is, um, it's an interesting subject. It's, it's an important one. It's one that we all either have struggled with or we have family that has struggled with it. We all together acknowledge that it's not talked about a lot in, in faith community, but we agree, Lord, together that your word is true. And we agree, Lord, together that the word of God can shed light on any topic. And so we're asking you, Lord, to meet us here, to help us to understand to speak a word through the word of God of hope into our hearts and to leave better equipped to follow you and to help people who struggle and suffer. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your bulletins, you see that we're going to do a couple of things this morning. The first thing that we're going to do is notice and make two observations. One about uh, uh, struggle and one about the Lord and a little bit about his character. And then we're going to talk about three really common questions, right? Like where does mental illness come from? How does God heal it? And how long does that take? Right? We're going to talk about those things and then we're going to talk about, as I told you, I hope for us to leave with this understanding of how to pray and some practical helps for those of us who either experience it now or may experience it in the future. What can I do? What are practical steps that I can take uh, to, to make sure that if I or when I face these types of troubles, I know what to do with my life. So the first is this, and I think that maybe this is at the front because it's so important. It seems like struggle is expected in the Bible. I don't know how to sugarcoat that. I can say it with a smile. I don't know that that makes it any better. But I can just tell you this. For God's people, it seems like struggle is simply going to happen. You know, I look at the apostles and I discover something really startling for a person who takes their faith seriously. It costs them. Life wasn't easy for them. I look in the Old Testament and I see people who are categorized as faithful and righteous and with full integrity and they struggled in life, you know. Here's what I think is important for all of us to understand and to pass on so that everybody understands this when they surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus. Christians are not exempt from life. And as you look in the Word of God, if if you would just go back with with me to, to Psalm 34, I just want you to look in 17, 18, and 19. And either make these in your notes or circle these in your Bible, but I want you to look at this. I want you to see the word troubles because it doesn't say that that the righteous may have troubles. It basically implies that we will look at verse 18, two phrases, two words that I want you to look at broken hearted and crushed in spirit. Look at verse 19 and I want you to find that word afflictions. Now, this is not talking about people that have nothing to do with God. This is not talking about people who haven't made a commitment to follow God and to honor God and to walk with God. No, this is talking about people that the Bible categorizes as righteous. In fact, look with me, if you would, in in verse 19. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, doesn't that encourage you to sign up for that? Yeah, I'd like to be righteous. Sign me up for afflictions, please. No, we don't think in those terms. But isn't it true that some of the most godly people that you know... Now, I could give you examples from the Word of God, but let's just, let's just set that aside for a second and think about the people that you know that walk with Jesus 
and have a profound prayer life. And God has used them in great ways to do mighty things. Often, usually, these people have experienced great difficulty, great affliction. So here's what I want for us to understand. When we read these verses, it is true. And if you picked up on this, you're absolutely correct. Nowhere in Psalm 34, 17, 18, or 19 does the phrase mental illness occur. And you may be thinking, I thought this was about mental illness. It's not even mentioned in the passage. You're correct. But here's what I want you to think about. Given the definition that I shared with you of what mental illness is and does, can't you see that certainly these words and phrases include the topic of mental illness? Look at them. Troubled. Brokenhearted, crushed in spirit, afflictions. Those are phrases that could easily describe somebody who is struggling with mental illness. Now the reason that this, this first observation that struggle seems to be expected is so important is because I often find that in the kingdom of God, Perhaps on purpose, perhaps accidentally, but oftentimes we slip into this thinking that it's quite perfectly acceptable for you to have a physical illness as long as it's not a mental illness. You see, the brain is an organ just like other organs in your body. And if somebody were to stand up at the end of the service today and say, I need prayer, and they go into the prayer room like we do at the end of every service, anybody that wants prayer, and the people that are at the prayer room gather around and they say, well, how can we pray for you? Say, well, I went to the doctor and I got some really bad news. Oh, no. What is the news? Well, the doctor said that my kidneys are failing. (gasps) Where is your faith? What are you doing? Are you not living for God that your kidneys aren't working? Are you kidding? Nobody would think that. But sometimes we think that with people who are struggling with mental illness. I'm going to tell you something today about myself. Only my wife knows. Yesterday, we had cleanup day at the church. When you drove up on the property, if you looked at the shrubs and said, those are glorious. Nobody knows this. Not even George, who was in charge. I didn't want to tell him because I thought maybe he would think little of me. I fell off the ladder. Did you? I, that's a true story. I was at this large bush, and I was leaning over, and I was trying to trim it, and I could feel myself start to lose the balance. And I thought, oh, this is how it ends. Right here. <laughs> right here in the church parking lot, Right? So I can't say I fell because it was like one of those things where you know you're going to fall. And so you just jump. You just go for it, you know. And so I jump and I hit the ground and I hurt my ankle. I hurt, I hurt my ankle. That was the part where you go, oh. Thank you. Thank you. Now, nobody in here thinks... 
that somehow I'm not right with God or I don't have faith or God's angry at me because I busted my ankle a little bit because I was mindless and reached over too far to try to do the work. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. In the kingdom of God, we have to understand that there are afflictions and troubles and there's times where our spirit is crushed and there's times where we brought low and we're broken hearted and it doesn't mean we don't have faith. It means we're fighting through life, right? Struggle is expected. And so this is what I think is important for us as the fellowship to understand. We will be a church, we will be a place where people can come work through everything, including mental illness. We're going to be that people. We're going to be a safe place for people to struggle and discover faith, even through and especially through times of mental illness. So Psalm 34 teaches us an important point, and that is that God's people can be expected to struggle. Now, I'm not saying that every one of you are going to struggle with mental illness, right? I'm not saying to go home and get ready for it. That may not happen. And if not, praise God. But as we think about the human body and the things that we fight through and the things that we struggle with, we need to understand that mental illness is one of the sicknesses of many that God's people will face that could be called afflictions or trouble or crushed spirit or the like, right? So the second observation is that the Lord is committed to His people. Now that's the good news. So the first part was not so good news because it means that we are going to face trouble. But the good news is that the Lord is committed to His people. I want for us to just turn back and look for a moment in Psalm 34. And I want you to notice what God's Word says about the the faithfulness and the how do I even say this? The follow through itness of the Lord to people who are in afflicted states and who are, who are experiencing trouble. He doesn't say, come on, man, get it together. He doesn't say, I called you righteous. Do you want to remain and continue in your righteous state? Then you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You need to dry those tears and you need to get on with life. That's not what it says. It says that he is committed and he is near to these people. It is a gorgeous thought and so we we showed just a moment ago those words troubled broken-hearted crushed in spirit afflictions those types of but let me call your attention back to verses 17 18 and 19 and notice other words look at these words the lord hears the lord hears when the righteous cry out to god the lord hears he hears another word he delivers he delivers that implies a couple of things it implies that God has the power and the desire to help us through the things that we face he delivers Look in verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You know, there are some things that you and I face and we want them to be fixed. But that scripture that says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, can I just offer this to you? 
perhaps for some problems, and, and not necessarily just mental illness, but when things happen in our life that crush our hearts, break our hearts, perhaps the only remedy, the only fix, if you will, is the presence of God. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You know the beautiful thing about Psalm 23? You don't have to turn there, but just remember, the Lord is my shepherd, right? You know what's so beautiful about that psalm? It's that it eloquently explains how close our Lord is to our life. He leads me. He guides me. He forces me to sit down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. The nearness of God is so important. And I know that that's a bigger conversation than this focused thinking that we're doing today about mental illness. But as we think about people who, in the kingdom, who live sometimes with broken hearts, I just want to remind you that sometimes we just must tarry in the presence of God. The nearness of God. Look at verse 18. It says, He saves the crushed in spirit. I want to tell you an honest truth about me studying this passage. I was startled by that phrase. He saves. He saves the crushed in spirit. Because as an evangelical... I tell people that they need to be saved. But I tell them, you need to be saved from your sin. I believe that's a theological absolute in the Word of God. We're guilty of sin. We need to be saved. I found, as I think about and go back and look at all of the times I've used the phrase saved, in, in church life, it almost is exclusively to talk about people being saved from their sins and ushered into the kingdom of God. But here in the psalm, It says we need to be saved from a crushed spirit. That's how significant of a topic that we're talking about. We need the Lord to save us from a crushed spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous in verse 19, the scripture says, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. So I wanted for us to see two things. I wanted for us to see that struggle is expected in the world. And we don't have to be embarrassed or shy about the fact that some of us may struggle with mental illness, just like we don't have to be embarrassed or shy that we struggle with something with our kidneys or migraines or migraines or however you say it up here, migraines, migraines. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be embarrassed by those things because those things are its just part of living in this fallen world and this fallen body that hasn't been glorified yet. We, we expect these things. And it's an important thing for you to hear because some of us may be struggling with mental illness and not even realize it. We may be saying something like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And Christians don't have that type of struggle. Well, they do. They do. And it's important for us to acknowledge that. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's something that you just want to uh, surrender to and live with. 
But it's important for us to understand, according to Psalm 34, we face troubles, we face afflictions, we can have our spirits crushed, we can be brokenhearted. But the good news is that the Lord is committed to His people. Now you see in your bulletin three questions. Where did mental illness come from? Um, My goodness, how the time flies. I cannot give you a 30-minute talk on where this comes from, but I can tell you this. We don't truly understand the breadth and the depth of devastation when human beings decided to rebel against God. Uh, All the way back into the early parts of Genesis, when God literally created uh, all things, and He literally created human beings, and He put them in the garden, and they lived there in this perfect state of being, pre-sin, pre-fall. And when human beings chose to rebel against God, it devastated everything. It, it didn't just mean that they had to leave the Garden of Eden. They set everything towards a trajectory of decay and brokenness. Now, uh, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to blame the devil on, to blame the devil about a lot of things. Well, this is the devil's fault. No, this is human's fault. We, we fight through illnesses today because in the garden we chose to rebel against God. Now you may say, we, excuse me. I wasn't there. That's on Adam and Eve. Okay, fine. But we're still guilty of our own sin, are we not? Uh, and, and the idea is this, that when we say, where did mental illness come from? Where did any illness come from? Where did anything that uh, contributes to death and not life, where did that come from? Because when God created the, the garden and when He created Adam and Eve, the Scripture says He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, not death. And that's why, as much as we know that death comes to every human being, it still startles us every time. Have you ever wondered why it is that you know so-and-so at some point is going to die? And when that person dies, you still go into shock. You still go into um, grief you still go into this foggy confusion of why did this happen? Here's why. Because we weren't created to die. We were created to live. And so when we we say, how can we trace the beginning of mental illness? We trace it all the way back to the garden. It didn't take long. In fact, one generation later, you have a brother killing a brother. It didn't take long for sin to set in. And do its damage. Where did it come from? That's where it came from. The second question is, how does God heal it? Remember in in Psalm 34, the scripture that we're looking at today, it says that God hears, He delivers people, He saves them, right? The scripture makes a bold claim that God reaches out and is committed to His people and consistently is going to heal and to care for. So I'm going to give you... Uh, a 10 second version of this answer because this is really what we're going to be looking at next week. How do, how do people get through this, this difficulty of mental illness? But I will tell you this. There are natural ways that it happens. 
There are supernatural ways that it happens. There are medical ways that it happens, that God brings people uh, to deliverance, helps people to live with significant mental illness, helps people to get healing from significant mental illness. Some of them are natural. Some of them are supernatural. Some of us can tell testimonies about how our life was disorganized and our thinking was not correct and, and we were our own enemies and we suffered with mental illness and God delivered us in supernatural ways. I praise God for that. But it's no less miraculous to say that through the ministry of God's people or just through time or just through making healthy, important choices that we were healed. And nor is neither one of those any less significant or insignificant to those people who struggle with mental illness who are helped through the medical profession. All three of those ways are ways that we find healing and help when we struggle with mental illness. Now, the third question that we ask is, when does deliverance occur? We're going to talk about this more next week as well, but I just wanted to list these questions to show you. I understand there are more things that I'm just saying this morning. Um, when does deliverance occur? I will just preface this to say, you're not going to like the answer. <laughs> it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes it happens in a process. Some people are delivered instantly and you leave a new person, but sometimes it takes people months and even years of making good choices to take your medication, to do the things that you have to do to be healthy. And sometimes it's a process. And I'm going to demonstrate to you next week that even in God's Word, sometimes He chose a process to bring healing to somebody who was struggling with mental illness. Because the last thing that I want to do today is to share with you how to pray for people who struggle with mental illness. So God's word has convinced us. I hope that that it's not abnormal for people to have this type of illness, this type of sickness, even in the camp of the faithful. And we know that, that God is going to work in their life. But what do we do in the meantime? What do you do? about your friend who's struggling with mental illness. I want to give you three ways to pray. The first is a prayer that actually changes you. Lord, give me a heart for this person. Give me a heart for my friend, for my family member. Give me a heart to journey with. Not lob advice at them not law, biblical mandates at them, to walk with them, right? To walk with them through their journey, to walk with them through their suffering, to, to make that journey. Lord, give me the strength and, and the, the desire to, to not just tell people what they need to be doing. Isn't that easy to do? You know what you should be doing? You know if I were you? You know what I think you need? No, listen, Give me, Lord, the heart to walk with suffering people. That's what we need. That'll transform the community. For God to give us a heart to walk and journey with people who are struggling. Second thing that you can be praying, Lord, would you give them a vision of wholeness? Give them a picture. Let them see for a moment what it would look like if they were made well. You know, the reality is some people live in chaos and brokenness for so long that's the only thing they can see anymore. They don't know what it looks like on the other side to have health and to have wholeness. 
What do you mean I can be well again? This is who I am. This is my normal. I just, I just, I just. Lord, would you give them a vision of what it would look like to struggle and to walk towards health? You know, Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and to have it abundantly. And I'm just believing that God meant what he said. That he wants people to find healing, to walk in health, and to walk in healing. The third way that we can pray is for these illnesses, mental illnesses as well, to push people to God and not away from God. You know, every difficult thing that you will ever face in your entire life will do one of two things. It will propel you to run into the presence of God or it will propel you in anger and bitterness to run away from Him. And so I am choosing to pray for my friends, for my church family who struggles with mental illness. Lord, please... Let their sickness create in them a hunger to run towards you. It is so easy to get angry, I know. It is so easy to get bitter, I know. It is so easy for us to say, you know what, God? If this is how you're going to let me be, you can have it, right? I'm done. Because that is not what I thought I was signing up for when I said yes to you, Jesus. Mental illness, let's pray, pushes people to run towards God instead of the opposite. Now, if if you are still in your bulletin notes, you see there are three things. And I want to share with you these three things before we go. Because... My statistics say that there's 16 or 17 people here who are not just listening for their friends, but they're listening for themselves. So I want to share with you some practical steps to take if you are in the kingdom of God and you're struggling, or if you associate with the family of faith, but you're struggling. The first is to walk closely with God. Now I want to be very careful when I say that because what I don't want to do is to just give you this thought that if you'll just pray about something, all of a sudden, poof, it's, away, it's gone. I don't, I don't think that that's a fair thing to say to people. I do believe in the power of prayer. I do think that God changes things. But what I don't want to do is to simplify uh, mental illness so that we think in a matter's time, God is just going to heal us from this and we don't have it anymore. But please hear me. Walking with God will literally change your life. And you see two important comments in in, uh, the 17th verse. If you look back in the 17th verse, you see two things. You see the word righteous. Now, it doesn't mean righteous according to your definition. It means righteous according to the definition of the Lord. Because probably most of us here would say, I'm righteous. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed anybody. I've never broken into a store. I've never uh, committed adultery. So I must be righteous. No. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. The righteousness of God comes through Jesus, His Son. Now, I wrote down a couple of verses that I want to share for you. I'll read them. Don't turn there because we, we're not going to have the time to go in and study each one of these verses. But if you're making notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So the Bible teaches that the only way that you and I are going to be righteous is if we're righteous through Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, For in it, the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when you look at that phrase, it says, When the righteous cry out to God, what that's saying for you and I is that we must come into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And when we come into the kingdom of God through Jesus, we're righteous. We can participate in these promises of verses 17, 18, and 19. And what happens when we come into the kingdom of God and we participate in these promises in 17, 18, and 19? Well, it says that we have to cry out to God. Look in verse 17 with you. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. My biggest difficulty, I'm just using you as a confessional. I don't like to ask for help. It's not fun for me. It implies I can't do it myself. It implies I have a problem. It implies that there's some vulnerability in my life, whether it be intellectual or with muscles. Or If I have to ask somebody for help, I don't like it. It's so bad. One time I was at the dentist. And the dentist does the thing where, you know, if this hurts, just say something. Well, I can't say something because your hands are in my throat. But if you're in pain, let me know. Well, it was in this, like, open concept. And why a dentist would do this, I don't know. If there's a dentist in here, forgive me. I'm not trying to beat up on your profession. But we were in this open concept, and there was another guy in a chair next to me. And for some reason, I felt like I had to show this guy. I didn't even know who he was, how tough I was. And the dentist is, I mean, just going to town. I don't want to be gruesome here, but my goodness, I don't know if I'd make it out alive. And the dentist said, you doing okay? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And forever, I just kept doing it. It wasn't forever, it was probably 30 seconds, but it felt like a lifetime, you know? And I just couldn't say I need help. I just couldn't say I can't take this anymore. Why? Because I don't like to cry out for help. When the righteous cry out, the Lord hears. My prayer is that you would come to the end of your rope and finally cry out for help. That's my prayer. So what is the practical steps? Walk closely with God, so closely that crying out for help is a normal thing. Live your life in the community of God's people. That's the second practical step. Live your life in the community of God's people. Why? Because we need each other. 
I know that we like to feel like we've got it ourselves. I don't need to cry out to help for God. I don't need the help of the people sitting in this room today. I can do this myself. You are going to continue the wreckage of what's going on inside of you if you choose to stiff arm and run from the love and the care and the concern of God's people. They're not perfect. They're going to offend you sometimes. They're going to say the wrong things sometimes. They're not going to be everything that you need them to be. That's why we have Jesus. He's everything we need them to be. But we need to live in community with God's people. He designed us to live among others. And we need that. The third step that I want to share with you is be open to medical help. You know, we have the stigma that if I just have enough faith, everything's going to work out. Well, God just so happens to allow us to live in 2019. And God has just so happened to give people really smart brains to develop this ability for doctors to really help us. And so can I just tell you this? If you're struggling and suffering with mental illness, it isn't a slap in the face of God for you to seek medical help. And so these three practical steps, it's not like pick one. It's like do all three of them. Walk with God, live among His people, and get help. Get help. Let me ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to close with prayer. And if you would just bow with me to pray before we go. And I just want to give you a second to get from that place where we are thinking to ourselves, I wish my cousin or I wish my co-worker could hear this. And I just want to get to the place where you're thinking about, why does God have you hear this today? Can we just get to that spot before we pray? Where are you at in this? Would you make a commitment to pray instead of judge the mentally ill? Is that where God has you today? Maybe God brought you here today because you needed to know that there was a loving, safe place under the umbrella of Christ that you could work all of this out. So maybe you're here because you need to hear these practical steps. But before we give the closing blessing and glow, I I just want for us to pray. Lord, we confess that we live with troubles. We confess that oftentimes we're brokenhearted. We confess that there are seasons where We would say that our spirit's been crushed. And we live our days in affliction. 
But that doesn't mean that you're not near to us and you're not working it out in our lives. We thank you for your holy, stubborn commitment to never give up on us and to continue to work in our life. And so I I just close, Lord, along with my brothers and sisters in praying for the people who legitimately struggle with mental illness in this room this morning. Would you give them a vision for health? And would you give them the courage to walk towards it? And would you give us, their brothers, their sisters, an incredible amount of discernment and knowing what to say and how to say it so that we don't offend, so that we don't hurt, but we continually and perpetually lift them up, challenge them, and inspire them to seek you with everything that they have. Lord, for those of us who need to be made righteous by giving our lives to you, Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that we do that. Thank you for being among us for a beautiful morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.